0: Alrighty. Well, come on back and uh, grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, one of the ladies back there, Helen, uh, Lexi, uh, one of the men, Mark, somebody will get you a Bible if you need a Bible. And then turn to John chapter 2. Bible right there. John chapter 2, I often say if I, this is just the way we're convicted, so we're just going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're in John chapter 2, and I often say if I did it any other way, I think I'd be dead, and I'm not exaggerating because it's so much, so difficult, I pray for the pastors who do it that way because Every week, you just sort of have to figure out what you're going to do. Praise the Lord. I'm just going, I already know what I'm going to do. And this week in John chapter 2, <clears throat> he just lays out the Easter message for you. So triple and doubly and quadruply praise the Lord for that from a selfish standpoint. But we are, <laughs> we're going through the book of John and uh <clears throat> Remember now, there's the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. It's standalone. It's a gospel, but it's different. It's written for a certain purpose. And come on, folks, you know, no hiding the ball. He just sets it out. Why the book of John is written and how much better of an Easter message is this? Oh, wait a minute. I better take time out. And here's why. Nobody gave you the announcements. <laughs> but there's. I'm going to let you read your bulletin. You read your bulletin, and that has all the announcements, except for this announcement is not in it. Every family here, we'd like to give you a, a gift bag when you leave. Uh, we have two ladies. Raise your hand if you're going to be at the doors. Right here, these two lovely ladies. One going to be at the front door, one going to be at the side door, and you're going to get a book or a, and a the Gospel of John and a couple sweets. And uh, if you've read the book that we're handing out, More Than a Carpenter, well, I'm actually glad that you have because I want you to give it to somebody. Pray about it, read it again, give it to somebody. If you've never read it, or if you're not a Christian, if you don't know where you're going to go for eternity, read this book, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Somebody shared the gospel with me. I'd been to church 20 straight years of my life, almost every weekend, and I never heard the gospel. And I was at college, and at a football meeting, somebody shared the four spiritual laws with me, and I said in my smart aleck way, well, that's way too easy. You got to do some stuff, so don't give me that grace stuff and I started examining the claims of Christ, and the per- first person I ever went to hear deliver the gospel, praise the Lord, was Josh McDowell. By the way, it was at Ohio State, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're from Columbus, if you can't tell. But anyway, it was at Ohio State, uh, Josh McDowell gave the gospel, and that was instrumental in uh, my salvation. And If that can help you, if the Lord can use it for you or somebody you know, uh, get your gift bag uh, when you leave, okay? That's one announcement. The other announcement is if you're interested in going to Hungary with us, you know, I I watched 60 Minutes the other night. If you haven't watched that, go on 60 Minutes' website and pick up last week's, last Sunday night's interview with the president of Ukraine. Wow, amazing. And we partner with a little couple that the Mashenkos know, who sort of live in South, uh, Southern California but go to Hungary, their native country, and they've been going there translating Bible tracts and they've teamed up with a medical missions team who needed Ukrainian and Russian gospel tracts at the mission center for the Ukrainian refugees who are coming into Hungary. And we're going to go in June, and if you're interested in doing that, come see us, come up here after church and we can uh, talk to you about it. And also, if you were planning on going and about eight of us have said yes, come up too, okay? And uh, one other announcement and then I'll jump back into the Book of John. I got excited, man, I got excited. And that's this, we're gonna have a Sunday school meeting again the next two weeks after church right here uh, for two weeks. We're going to do some construction. We're going to sort of change around the rooms a little bit. I don't know if change, but we're going to add a room and uh, how we're going to do that. Well, I don't know because I can't fix anything, but other people in the church know how to do that and they're going to start this week. So, uh, let's, I want to talk to the Sunday school teachers and helpers next week and the week after that, if you can't make it next week. Okay. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to do more announcements than I thought. A women's luncheon is coming up on May 7th from 11 to 1. Wow, how did I get that? And the sign-up sheet's in the back. Oh, it's coming around. And and, uh, sign up, and we're going to have an awesome time, food, fellowship, and a great teaching and uh, testimony by one of our own ladies here, Elaine Dennis. So come, come to that, okay? All right. Oh my, oh my. Yeah, we do want you to take your photo booth uh, picture. Okay. Okay, no more. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So, John, this is what we're excited about. Not a synoptic gospel. He writes for a specific purpose and he doesn't hide the ball. It's the perfect Easter message. In fact, in the 20th chapter of the book of John, if you want to turn there, we'll refresh our memory. John sets it forth. He says, I'm just going to tell you straight out while I'm writing this gospel. And he says it in verse 30 and 31. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs. Now, I want you to take a time out there for a minute. in, In the book of John, he doesn't call them miracles. That's really important. He calls them signs, different. And the reason is, is because the Lord knows that people that only rely upon miracles have a shallow faith. Okay, there I said it. We love miracles here. One of my brothers right over there that's reading through his Bible right here got healed from something that was going to put him out, put him out. So some Wednesday we'll have him share He's been healed. It's a miracle. And we're thankful for him and and what the Lord's done in his life. So we aren't against miracles, folks, and neither was Jesus. But what Jesus wanted you to make sure and them to make sure is that they knew that the signs had something behind it, a spiritual message. So all these signs and things that happen in the book of John are not only for the purpose of healing the person or helping the person or whatever, it is for that, because Jesus has compassion, but behind it is another meaning. And last week we went through the Cana of Galilee story, changing water to wine. And there's so many layered meanings to that story, but one of them is this is that the Lord wants to take you out of dead, stone-cold, simple religion and bring you into a fruitful and fragrant relationship with him where that your life is pouring out wine, fruit, fragrance, fragrance so that other people will be attracted and come and want to share what you have. It's the picture of the Lord coming into the people of the church in their hearts and living in and through them. It's beautiful. But here he says in John 20, Jesus did many other signs, more than what he even wrote in this book, which are not written in this book. But these, 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 the ones he put down. And by the way, if you really want to be blessed in your soul, go get a New Testament, or excuse me, a gospel side-by-side chronology. All these things are, are in John only 92% of the book of John is original to John it's by far the most original book of writings he's doing it so that these that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ what does that mean it means that he was the one who fulfilled all the old testament prophecies the ones that the Jews were looking for and the one that you know we see when we read the old testament and all the prophecies, he fulfilled them, the Christos, the Messiah. But he's not just that, he is that, he's the son of God. uh, Just turn it around and it'll make more sense. He's God, the son. He's the son of God, but he's God, the son. He's fully man, but he's fully God. He's We we serve one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many gods we uh, worship? One in three persons. He's God the Son. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good guy you should listen to. He's God himself come out of the heavens to make himself lower than a worm, Psalm 22 tells us. I mean, can you imagine God coming out of the heavens and putting on a diaper, being born in a slobbery trough, no room at this little inn in a little out-of-the-way place in Bethlehem? Come on. He became poor So that you would become rich. And despite what the health and wealth prosperity gospel teachers tell you, that doesn't mean this. It means rich spiritually. So that you would have rivers, not river, by the way, John chapter 7. You would have rivers of living water flowing out of your life. You would be alive and have his life inside of you pouring out for other people. He says, that's what I wrote this for so that you would come into that relationship and that believing, you would have this life. But not, you know, it's, it's in his name. You live in the name of Jesus. He's your captain. He's our captain of our salvation. Many times in America, I think, maybe you think, we treat Jesus like a butler. Lord, this is my agenda. Do what I want you to do. And if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to be really disappointed and mad, so do it. Now, you don't say it that way, but you think that way, and we think that way. But we're not that. We're here to serve him. We are his soldiers. He's the captain. Everybody tracking? Now, when you come back to John chapter 2, he sets forth the Easter message right out of the gate. The first thing he does is really fascinating. He goes to a wedding, and he doesn't let anybody know... The miracle or the sign that he does, changing water into wine, except the servants at the wedding. The participants at the wedding don't know that Jesus did this. And we talked about that. If you want to if you're in a stale place, if you haven't been hearing from the Lord, maybe it's because you're not a servant. But that now comes to this, or that now leads to this, should I say, and that's John chapter 2. Two, verse thirteen. Actually, I should read twelve because it'll fill in a little bit. Okay, I have a picture for you. I'm not very good with AV stuff, but I have a picture. You don't have to do it yet, but put John up there. And man, I'm. So, Gabe is so amazing because I shoot from the hip and told him this last night. But anyway. Verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. Where was he? Was a Cana of Galilee. He's in the sort of mid to northern regions of Israel. He's right in the middle of the country in the place called the Jezreel Valley. And now he's going to go over to the Sea of Galilee, which is off to the right on the map. And he's going to go up to the top of it where Capernaum is. It's a fishing town that he, a little later on in his ministry, is going to make his home base. And it says that he goes down to the Capernaum and the reason he does is not because of direction. It's because of topography. Going down the Capernaum means you're going right down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 uh, feet below sea level. The Dead Sea in the southern part is way lower than that. The lowest place on earth. But Sea of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level. So he goes, I go down to Capernaum or they go down to Capernaum and look who went down with him, his mom, his brothers, folks, those aren't spiritual brothers. Those are real half brothers. The Bible tells us that his mom and dad had children after him and he had brothers and he had at least two sisters because in another gospel it says in the plural, he had sisters, so he had at least two. Five of his brothers are named in another gospel. And his disciples, and they didn't stay there many days. Now, though, the Passover takes place. You need to know something. He's way up in the north of Israel. Deuteronomy 16 says, for all the families in Israel, at this time, they got to they come back to Jerusalem three times a year as a family. And one of the the feasts included in that commandment or that law that they had back in the Old Testament was Passover. Now, you know Passover. It's in the book of Exodus. They're in Egypt, which represents sin and bondage and slavery in the sense that, anyway, that they were enslaved by the Egyptians, right? You know this. And they wanted to leave, and Moses wants them to leave, and they go through these plagues, and they get to the last plague, and the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go pick a spotless lamb. I want you to get it ready, because on the night of the 14th of Nisan, at the Passover, that becomes the Passover, I want you to take that lamb, and you're going to kill it, and you're going to spread the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes over Egypt you and your household, your whole household will be saved. That's in the Old Testament. In Corinthians, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is our Passover lamb. So I want you to know that background because it says at the Passover, now Jesus this is at the beginning of his ministry. We're not at the time yet. We're about three years away from the time that Jesus is on the cross when we're examining John chapter 2. Three years. So he went to the Passover. You see it? Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why up? Because of topography again. He was going up in elevation. And he found in the temple, hid it, Gabe. Gabe's the man. He seriously is. He found in the temple, and you just keep that up there for a minute, those who had sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered what it was written Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, let's just talk about this for a minute. If you want to know the Bible real well, especially the Old Testament, one of the themes that you ought to glob onto is the temple. The temple, before it was the temple, was a tabernacle, a tent. It traveled around in the wilderness with the Israelites. You remember this? And at night, I always get this backwards, but I think it had fire. And at day, it had a cloud. I always get that backwards. And that was the glory of the Lord, the heaviness, the weightiness of the Lord. It was the Lord, and he would direct them when to move and when to go. And that tent, which now there becomes a physical temple, had two rooms in it. The first room had 12 loaves of bread on the right side. In the back of the room, it had uh, incense and on the left, it had candelabra. Represent the 12 tribes of Israel always before the Lord. 12 loaves of bread. By the way, by the way, rabbit trail. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Going back to the back, there's incense that would make its way up. Of course, incense goes up. Anybody ever live in the 70s? Well, you'd know. Incense goes up, and you smell it. And that represents the prayers of the saints that the Lord considers and works on. And on the left, the candelabra, the light thingy. Jesus said, I am the... Light of the world. By the way, in the back with the prayers, what is Jesus doing right now as we speak? He's interceding for the saints, us. There was, behind that prayer place, the incense place, was a veil. And in the back of that room was the, or the back, the next room, was the Holy of Holies room where there was this Ark of the Covenant. I hesitate to say it, but did you ever watch Raiders of the Lost Ark? They were looking for stuff like this, right? And man, when I was a kid, it was sort of confusing. I'm like, why is Harrison Ford in the Bible And I couldn't figure it out? Well, this is sort of what they were talking about. The Ark of the Covenant was in the back and the Lord told Moses, at the time there was a tabernacle, he said, I'm going to meet you above the mercy seat. And that is a mercy seat, and on top of it, it's a wooden box, represents humanity, with a gold-plated top, represents deity, who's man and God, Jesus. And then it had cherubim wings that almost touched. Okay, that's what was in the tabernacle, and that, oh, shoot, where'd that come from? (laughs) He slipped that in on me there, or somebody did, maybe Kara did. Good for you, all right, great. All right, so that's what then happened. What happened then is Solomon in the Old Testament made a temple. That temple gets wrecked in 586 B.C. And then fast forward to about 20 B.C. Did you see what I did there? 20 B.C. After Zerubbabel, who here has ever heard of Ezra and Nehemiah? Okay, Ezra and Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the temple after they come back from Babylon. I know I'm losing some of you here, but I'm going about ready to put you back on the highway. And that second temple was not as glorious as the first one. And there was this dude named Herod about 20 BC. He becomes the person who rules over that area of the world. In fact, you always read about him. He was a dastardly evil dude. He killed the babies. Anyway, he was a short guy who had a building complex. No offense if you're short. And he built all around Israel. And one of the things he did was he said, well, I'm going to get in favor with the Jews here. I'm going to make their temple, which was the second temple, amazing. That's it. And this is up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I don't know if you were reading the news last week. There were a whole bunch of riots up here last week between the Palestinians and the Israelis. This is the most contested area of land in the entire world. David bought this place. It was a threshing floor. Abraham, you ever heard of Abraham and Isaac where he sacrificed? Okay, on this mount, it's called Mount Moriah. And they actually then put that temple there after Solomon, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Herod in 20 BC makes it grand. Why am I telling you all this? Because this is where Jesus came to right here. And he walks up there, and I don't know if you can see it, but this is the south. You see, you would go under these, you see those entryways underneath there? He, they would, people would walk in there and they would come out right there at the top where those entryways are. You see them right here, closest to me? And what happened was, on those outer areas, those outer areas, it was called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. Now, put your thinking caps on. What... If anybody asks you, why did God choose the Jews? You know what? You'd say one word, grace. You go, what? Grace? See, this is not some... um, racial thing, that God has a thing for another race over another. It has nothing to do with that. Not at all. Everybody's equal in Christ. But what God wanted to do is take this little nation by grace. He took the simple things of life to confound the wise. He took this little nation so that the whole world could see God's love. So they had an outer court, including this thing Right here, closest to me with a covering on it. That's called the Stroa. The Stroa. What's there now is a mosque. But anyway, it's the Stroa. And that's where the people set up the money-changing tables and the doves and the lambs and all that sort of thing that you're listening to or reading here. And he found in the temple, verse 14, those who sold oxen, sheep, doves, and the money-changers doing business, folks, It happened right there in the court of the Gentiles. It was the place that non-Jews could go to pray and be taught, but they couldn't go any closer into the temple. God bless you. There were courts inside of it like a Russian doll until only certain people could go in that temple area. Everybody tracking with me? So the Stroa is in the court of the Gentiles, the place where the Gentiles could come and see what God was like, and hear about God and learn about God. And Jesus, during the Passover, walks up those steps. I'm convinced he walked up those steps. And he came out there and he sees it. This is the first, at the first part of his ministry, three years before the cross. By the way, at the end of his life, on the last week of his life, he also did it again. It's in a different gospel, he did it twice. This is the first time he did it, only found in John. Everybody with me? He goes up there and he sees sheep and doves as the money changers. Why was he mad? Because these people who were coming, even the Gentiles, would have to solicit and pay, or would have to uh, pay a, a temple tax. But what was funny was if you brought your money from like a Greek or a Roman coin, that didn't do well. You had to have a certain type of coinage. So there were money changers there, there was an exchange booth. And they would, the exchange rate was horrendous. In other words, the people in the money changing booths were uh, uh, you know, profiting from this. What else was happening? Well, the people were bringing their animals or uh, coming up this way and seeing the people who were bringing their animals and they would see right there in the outer courts that their animals that the families brought weren't working. They weren't spotless enough. They weren't without blemish enough. But just conveniently, right here in the Stroa, we have some oxen that'll do you fine. The problem was it was really expensive. We have some sheep or a lamb that'll do fine. Problem was really expensive. How about some doves? And see, that's the killer. Doves were for people who couldn't afford much. So they were overcharging. And Jesus walks up those steps and out that, uh, those entryways there, and he comes face to face with it. Now, read on. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but in verse 15, he said, when he had made, not pulled out or brought, he fashioned, and it says in the King James, he fashioned a whip of cords. In other words, he took the time find something and do this. He had some righteous anger here, folks. So he drove out all the temple, or drove them all out of the temple. Think what he did. He drove them out with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Now watch what he says right here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He says something astounding. He says he's the son of God or God, the son. That's what he says. In other words, he was making a real ruckus, a scene in that Stroa area in the court of the Gentiles. He was making a scene and people wanted to know why in the world are you making this scene? What makes you able to do this? And he says, take these things, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's taken straight from Psalm 69. They're like, whoa, wait a second. We know that the messianic Psalm of Psalm 69 says that the Messiah is going to be zealous for the house of the Lord. Could it be, is it that we're watching it as it's happening? Everybody with me? So the Jews answered and said to him, (laughs) it's like, you just did a sign. You sort of articulated the sign. But what sign do you show to us since you do these things? What sign is it that will tell us, watch, this is important. What sign is it that says you have the authority to do any of these things. That's what they're asking. Remember, these are the religious people of the day, the religious high order, the important quote-unquote people who are asking this, and they're saying, how in the world, who gives you authority to do this? You could understand their anger and actually their questions, right? What is Jesus so mad about? He's mad that they're... Uh, blocking, they're interfering with the people who don't know God coming into a relationship with God, anything that's blocking that he's not happy with. And in this case people are getting ripped off, like ripped off. I mean, I know I say this and get in trouble, but don't you just watch on TV sometimes? And you're going, seriously? Now, not every person on TV is bad. I'm not saying that. But you know, if you give a thousand, you're going to get 10,000. And you need to sow into my ministry. And if you don't, whoo, watch out for you. See, we have it everywhere, folks. It's on our TVs, it's on our radio, it's in our social media, it's everywhere. He's ticked about it. He's angry. He has righteous anger. Anything that distracts from people coming to hear the word of the Lord, the teachings of the Lord, to worship the Lord, anything that distracts from that, he ain't happy about. You get it? That's what's going on here. So they ask him this. Well, what gives you the authority? And he says, Well, here's what it is. Jesus answers and said to them, Now, this is really important that you quote this right. Most people, when they remember this verse, say, I will destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. But Jesus didn't say that at all. He said, Jesus answered in uh, in response to their request for authority, He said, Destroy this temple. It's not, I will destroy this temple. He's saying to them, You're going to destroy this temple. And then three days I will raise it up, raise it up. Now the Jews said, Whoa, 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 time out. Time out. They knew that Herod started building this in 20 BC. We're in now 26 or 27 A.D. So they'd been building it for 45 or so years. You understand? They weren't building it, they were renovating it. They would actually not get done with it, technically, until 63 AD. And they still really weren't done with it. And in 70 AD, the Romans came in and wrecked that temple. So, the Jews are scratching their head. And this place is huge now. That pavement area, or whatever you want to call it, that flat area, that's a big old area. Huge. Huge he says, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. And the Jews are like, whoa, whoa, time out. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. No way scoffers. No way. In fact, I want you to turn with me a couple places. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 26. Go there. Turn with me to Matthew 26. Because this really stuck with people. <laughs> go to Matthew 26. I want you to see it for yourself, okay? If you go to Matthew 26 and you go to verse 60. Let's just even read uh, 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Folks, listen, what we're celebrating today is the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. What we celebrated on Friday night was the death of Jesus. And prior to the death of Jesus on the cross, there were seven trials, so to speak. He went before seven bodies of people or persons. And this is the third trial on the night in which he was betrayed, listen to what the Sanhedrin say. They hold Jesus, take him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled, but Peter followed at a distance to the high priest, and he went in and sat with the servants. Oh, sorry, I'm getting way down there. Now the chief priests, the elders, and the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. Watch this. But at last, two witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, watch, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Jesus never said that, folks. He said, you destroy the temple and I'll put it back up in three days. They twist it three years later. This stuck in their minds for three years. And they said, we remember when you said this. In fact, they coached, this religious order coached these witnesses to say it. And they didn't say it right. And it turned out they couldn't use the false testimony. Is everybody still with me? Okay, now watch this. They actually, you can also read about that in Mark 14, 57 and 59. But I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to go to Mark 15. Go to Mark 15. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm not there. I'm sorry. I'm having a tough time. Oh, come on. Okay, Mark 15, and I want you to go down to verses 29 and 30. Now, this is when Jesus is on the cross. Okay? Before I showed you a trial, one of the trials. Now I'm showing you Jesus on the cross. It's three years after John chapter 2, what we're reading today. And here's what he says. And those who passed by, the, the Lord is pinned to the tree here, folks. He's nailed to the cross. He's been bludgeoned and spit on and mocked. He's naked, he doesn't have a loincloth on. He's being publicly humiliated. He's dying. They put him in a place that everybody could see, a highway. And they wrote in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, an inscription, the king of the Jews, you know this. And there was two others, a robbers, one on his right, one on his left. They're humiliating and torturing Jesus. And those who passed by, not only just made fun of him, look what the word is, they blasphemed him. They were basically saying, you're not who you say you are, and way worse than that. This is bad stuff. They're wagging their heads and saying, aha! Even the common people had heard this. That's what I want you to see. You who destroy the temple. He never said that he would destroy the temple. You who destroy the temple and build it in three three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. What I'm trying to tell you is, in John chapter two, this destroy this temple in three days I will raise up, stuck in the minds of the religious order, the important people, and filtered down to the people who are passing by, and they make fun of him because of it. And worse, they blaspheme him. And Jesus said, destroy this temple and three days I will raise it up. Now, one other issue I just want you to know. If you looked at John chapter 10, verse 18, I want you to go there and then I won't make you to go to the other ones, but I do want you to go to John chapter 10, verse 18. How how about verse 17 first? therefore my father loves me because watch watch this i lay down my life that i might take it up again or take it again who takes up the life of jesus in the resurrection does jesus say he does are you getting that plain reading of the 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 scriptures right then go on to 18 no one takes it from me but i lay it down of myself i have power to lay it down is this plain or what and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. I want you to see something here. Jesus Christ participated in the power of his resurrection. He participated in resurrecting him. You're like, really? Well, I want you to see something else, and I'm just going to tell them to you because we don't have time. Romans 6, verse 4, and Galatians 1, 1 says the Father had a role in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, by the way, guess what? Romans 1.4 and 8.11 says the Holy Spirit had a role in the resurrection of Jesus. The Trinity, the Godhead, participated in raising Jesus from the dead. I want you to see that. And the reason I want you to see that is there's some people that said Jesus has no role. Well, When I read John chapter 10, it's pretty plain. The Godhead. Okay, now with that rabbit chair, I'll come back. 46 years? Really? Yeah, 46 years. But here, I want you to catch this, verse 21. Maybe you've thought about this some in your life. Maybe you've said, why is this in here? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Amazing. Those who were believing people, when they saw him resurrected, their whole faith was made secure. They didn't have all the answers. Who here loves to have all the answers? There's several of you here. I'm one of them. But here, when Jesus called these men and these women, what did he say to them? This is one of the most profound statements Jesus makes. Come, follow me. It's as if he's saying, I, I know You don't have all the answers, but just come and be with me and walk with me and talk with me. And now you see things half full or darkly, but you're going to see me face to face, man. And then you're going to know. You don't have to have all the answers. Here they didn't. Watch this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, the feast... Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now watch this. This is important. If you don't know where you're going, if you got hit by a bus today, sorry to be morbid. But, you know, (laughs) I know I always bring up Ohio State, but... Our 24-year-old quarterback who quarterbacks for the Steelers is on the side of the road one week ago and gets hit by a dump truck. So you don't know, and I don't know. But if you don't know where you're going after you pass physically from this life, well, you can know. But watch this, when he was in Jerusalem during the feast, many believed in his name, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men. Does that puzzle you? He was worried about the people who were so jazzed about miracles that they had no idea what they were doing when they gave their life toward him. And Jesus, it says, didn't commit himself to them yet. Because he knew what was in all men. Salvation is available to everyone, the Bible says. He came, you know, here in the next chapter, in the most famous verse of all. God so loved the world that he gave grace his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Later in Peter, it says God's not slack concerning his promises. He wants all men and women to repent and come to him. He wants everybody. Ezekiel says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants everyone to come to know him. But some didn't, and I want you to see that three years prior to when Jesus was on the cross. They didn't because they based their whole spiritual life on miracles. I always give this example. When I used to read the Bible when I was a kid and nobody really gave me religious instruction. So I had no idea what I was doing, I just read. But you know, the Holy Spirit was gracious and sort of taught me some things. But when I wanted an answer, I used to say things like this, Lord, I used to have shelves in my room. If you wanted me to do this, knock something off that shelf. <laughs> Needless to say I didn't do very much. <laughs> Anybody else done stuff like that? Yeah, right. You see, he knew all men and as Jesus began to work these miracles, people began to follow him, but it didn't uh, lead to a real relationship with him. So there was no commitment. Do you see it? He wanted something deeper, something more. And when you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear that we're to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. You know that. That's from Romans 10. But you know, most people just think, and by the way, I got saved by a magazine, so don't or through a magazine. Don't I'm not knocking it, but most people just say, "Hey, read the back of this thing and you're fine." Well, that's not true. There has to be this thing where you're committing to the Lord and the only listen, listen, if you get nothing else out of today's teaching, get this. The only reason you're committing to the Lord is cuz he's committed to you. It's not because you're some great self-disciplinarian do away with all of that. He says to take your self-life and die to it. Don't even for five seconds of your life believe you don't need the Lord. That's what we're called to as Christians. And I want you to see something. These people, he, he knew what was in men. He knew the hearts of men. He could discern these things and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There is something really going on here. Now, I want you to see something as I'm really, I think I'm going to make a point, but I'm kind of going around it right now, and I know it. I want you to see something in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Paul himself in the chapter on resurrection, the Bible teaches folks that because he was resurrected, those who are found in Christ are also going to be resurrected bodily. You're not going to be some Casper the ghost in heaven. You're going to be a real glorified resurrected body person. And Paul's teaching you that in 1 Corinthians 15 but he says something really important that I want you to know today. It's this, verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, what did we all put on Instagram this morning? He's risen indeed. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. We would be the dumbest people in the world to be here today if Christ didn't rise from the dead. If we were serving a God who is still dead, help us. It'd make no matter. It would have no impact. But we don't. We serve a living God, and that's the point Paul is making. For if or if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're, and, and listen, you're still in your sins. You have no hope. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ... You and I and we have no hope. Zero. Because when you die physically, you're going to go to heaven, go to meet the Maker, God, and he's going to say, "Oh, you've never surre- you know you, you're not found in Christ. I'm not seeing you through the prism or the blood-stained uh, uh, lens of my son." So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to f- judge you fairly. That's what the Lord's going to say. And he's going to say, I'm going to judge you based on your own righteousness instead of the righteousness you could have received from Jesus Christ. And if you failed this much, the wages of sin is death. In other words, you and I need a savior and Paul knew it and it's all because of the resurrection. Now, one other little around the corner thing. Turn with me to Acts 17. I want you to see what the early church did with respect to the resurrection. And then I'm going to make a point. Hopefully. Maybe. Pray for me. I want you to see something in Acts 16. Paul here is preaching at Thessalonica first, and then he's going to, I'm going to take you to where he's preaching at Athens. But here in verse one, it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis, by the way, if you don't know this, we're in Acts, we're after Jesus died, we're after Jesus rose again, and now the early church is starting. I want you to see what the early church taught to people that they wanted to share the gospel with. Watch this. They passed through Amphipolis, or however you say it, and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Any time Paul preached the gospel, he explained the death of Jesus... And the resurrection of Jesus. And now, if you go farther into the book of Athens, or excuse me, he's over to Athens now, not the book of Athens, the book of Acts, chapter 17. He's at Athens. Watch this. Go over to verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Why does he say that in Athens? Because he's uh, evangelizing to the audience. This is something they debated about. They were philosophers. And he's saying Jesus is our all in all. Even the air we breathe. Let's write a song about that. But so... In him we have uh, and move and have our being, as also some of our poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, he's witnessing to these people who believe in a divine nature, is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Truly, those times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commends. Watch this. If you don't know if you're going to heaven, this applies to you, just as it applied to them. God overlooked, but now commands all men, women everywhere to repent. Why? He tells you, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in its righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He, watch. Folks, listen to this. Jesus is coming back to this earth. And he's going to rule and reign. He came once in grace. He's coming a second time in judgment. I believe it's really close. And Paul here says, he's coming and he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Watch this. And he's given assurance to us, assurance of this to all how and why by raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrection matters way more than we all know. He says, Jesus died and went to be in heaven at where he sits at the right hand of the father, but that he's going to come again out of the heavens to judge. And the reason and way you know that is, is because Jesus rules over life and death. That's what Paul just told you. Everybody tracking. Now, I want you to go on because it has to do with John chapter 2. Watch. John chapter 2 is really prophetic. Remember when he said, I wouldn't commit myself to men? You're like scratching your head. Watch this. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, watch this. It's like today. Some mocked. Come on. You believe in that? Why? why? You're really going to go to church on Easter? Pull out the bunnies and the peeps and eat and have fun and just ignore that silliness. You really believe that a man 2,000 years ago could have any impact in your life in a country across the world, in the Mediterranean Sea, where it's really debatable, which it's not, by the way, whether he died or whether he rose again. You really believe that stuff? (laughs) There's nothing new under the sun, is there? So some mocked, while others said, well, I'm going to take a little bit more time to listen to this. I'll have some more information, if you please. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. And then it goes on to tell you, I wanted to show you that in the early church, when they were witnessing, they always brought up the death and resurrection, especially the well, both, but the resurrection was always included And it's the same now. There's people maybe even here who mock. There's people here who say, I'll do that later. You know, come on, I'm a young kid and I'm going to sow some oats. And then when I get done partying, this is my story, by the way, when I get done partying, uh, then I'll start to consider. Well, ask Dwayne Haskins about that and his family. You just never know. And the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And one other thing before we go, turn with me to John chapter 20. Verse 1, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John who's writing this. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple, this is classic, man. So man, human. John, who's writing this, said, yeah, I, I outran Peter to the tomb. That's why it's my favorite gospel. <laughs> and came to the tomb first, and he's stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. It means in an orderly fashion, by the way, in the Greek. Yet he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. That's important. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and he believed. Same word they used in Acts. They believed, man. It was real. How do you distinguish Christianity from every other, other religion? It's this day. And that's it. He rose again, he's alive, he's not dead. Go find Confucius, there's DNA for him. Buddha, DNA. Just Jesus, no DNA. He's alive, and they believe. They believed, for as yet they didn't know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept. Stood down, looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in while sitting or white in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they late said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" And she said, "Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know." where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell him, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me or I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers. My brothers, Brethren, and say to them, I am sending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Wow. Now here, here's what I want to tell you as we close. He says in John 14:19, something that you want to remember. Jesus said, because I live, you'll live also. I mean, how much more plain can it be? Because I live, resurrection, you're going to live also, John said. Remember, what is the greatest fear of man outside the church? Death. The worst thing that the world and humans can think of, death. Is just the beginning of the greatest thing for the Christian. It's just the beginning of the greatest thing for the Christian. You walk with him and you'll talk with him. You'll be with the Lord. In other words, First Corinthians fifteen twenty six and first Corinthians fifteen fifty four and fifty five says, Death has been defeated for the Christian for those who are in Christ. This is important. We know that through the resurrection. If the resurrection never happened, death would never have been defeated. Also, because of the resurrection, God declares us righteous. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was raised to life for our justification. In other words, Who here? Raise your hand if you think you've ever sinned. Raise your hand. Oh, the whole church went up. That's good because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the verse that I just read you said, because of the blood of Christ and his resurrection, the gavel comes down for you. Not guilty. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it doesn't stop there. You get his righteousness. And it's all because of the resurrection. And there's so much more that we could say. You're given new life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anybody here thankful you get a new lease on life? (laughs) Mercies are new every morning. You live in grace now. you don't live according to rules. You live according to the life that Jesus lived, Galatians 2.20. It comes in and through you. You live, folks, by the resurrection power of Jesus. It's why Jesus said when he went away, you're going to do more and greater things than I am. i have done. And you go, what? He gives us his resurrection power. Isn't that amazing? So here's what I want to do as we have our folks coming back up i think we're going to do a worship song watch this and then our folks are going to pass out communion who can take communion anyone who surrendered their life to jesus christ and in the fellow in the family of god if watch this before they get up here don't be distracted by them walking I'm going to turn you to 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to turn there if you have a Bible. And I want you to see something. The Bible is so gracious. God is so gracious in 1 Corinthians 15. Right here at verse 3. Read it. Look down at it. Look at it on your phone. Check it out. Paul says this. The writer Paul, who had been saved in a radical way, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Watch this. Say in your mind with me, just say, do you believe that Christ died for your sins? Yes or no? Just say it in your mind. Do you believe that? Did you believe that Jesus came and died for your sins? Did you believe that he did it according to the scriptures? What's that talking about? The Old Testament prophecies that prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would do this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was he died, was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures? Do you believe that? Is the Lord tugging on your heart in belief or for belief? Do you recognize and understand that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12 apostles? After that, he was seen by over, folks, 500 people alive in Galilee. Not in Jerusalem, in Galilee, Jerusalem, 70 miles away, physically. If you were in a courtroom, the judge, after about two of these witnesses said, okay, I I heard enough. We got enough testimony. We understand 500 or more. And if you believe these things, the Bible says to come follow him. How do you do that? You confess with your mouth, Romans 10 says, and believe in your heart. And then I want you to know one other thing. You take up your cross daily. To follow Jesus, you take up your cross. You give up your life for his. And you go, wait a minute, what about my life? Well, see, your life is a life of sin. You go, wait a minute, really? Yes, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're sitting here, you're a sinner. I'm the chief. But the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is they're counting on the work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection, and a non-Christian isn't. And when you do that, you follow him all your life. It's why you come here and sing. You're so glad. Paul again tells us in Romans 12, and then I'll be quiet. For those who do that, For those who surrender their life to jesus christ watch your only reasonable service the only thing that's even reasonable at all is to give your whole life as a sacrifice to christ everything so here's what we're going to do i'm going to sit down the guys are going to pass out communion i'm going to come back up here take communion if you're not a christian You shouldn't take communion, but listen, you could pray a prayer. Just pray now, Lord, all these things I believe and I trust you and I want to follow you my whole life. If that's you, pray it and grab communion and you'll take communion for the first time in a real way. And then I want you to come up after and talk to me about it, okay? Bye want to stand, you can. If you want to sit, that's okay, too. But I want to show you something in John, just the chapter one. You thought you were out of here, huh? It says in verse 16, well, let's go 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You, you, I want you to know something, folks. I am nitpick with words. Glory? Where do we see his glory? I need to see word, glory. You see the glory of his creation, the Bible tells us, but you know where you say his glory and all its splendor? The cross and resurrection. He's the... He has glory. The glory is the only begotten. That means unique of the Father, full of grace and truth, and his and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. Watch this. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when we take of this, it's just it's grace exploding in the visual here <laughs> he gave his body for us I mean come on folks the night before the crucifixion he takes bread and he breaks it <laughs> and he gives thanks really who he laid down his life willingly He gave thanks. Why did he give thanks? Because he knew the provision was made, the sacrifice was made, was going to be made, that was going to satisfy the Father so that he could release grace. And you all are trophies of grace in Christ. And he gave thanks for you. Go ahead, take the cracker. also he took a cup after supper. And remember, he said he was establishing something new, a covenant of grace. How about that one, folks? Lawyers write these things in pen and ink and use little notary seal thingies. This covenant was written in blood. said this is my blood shed for you go ahead and take the juice so pray with me would you we're gonna when we pray we're gonna stand we're gonna sing a song and then Olivia is going to let us go if you want me to pray with you if the Lord tugged on your heart today come up and we'll talk let's pray Lord thank you for this day The glory of the cross and resurrection. We're so thankful, Lord. We don't even know what to say sometimes. We love you, Lord, but we know it's because you first loved us. Your precious Son's name we pray. Amen.
1: You are strong. You are strong. Lord bless
2: you this Easter morning. We go in peace. <laughs> Amen.